Hey there, welcome to Grace Church Online. It's so great to have you uh, tuning in with us this morning. I know that many of you are probably at home right now, sitting in your PJs, drinking some coffee, and uh, you probably have your feet propped up, and that's okay. Um, We're glad that you're comfortable, we're glad that uh, you're able to watch us even though you're in your homes, Um, and we're just trusting that God is going to use the music, the message, the testimonies, the videos... Uh, to encourage you, to, um, uh, to point you towards Jesus Christ. Uh, I actually wanted to, to just encourage you to do something for me for just a minute. You know, more and more people are uh, tuning into the services. They're sharing the services so others can see. But in the comment section, if you would take just a moment and take a picture of, of your family and how they're worshiping or how you got your uh, uh, worship time set up, and you can actually post it in the comment. I think that would be a lot of fun. And uh, so you could take some pictures now. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep talking. And I know you're probably not going to catch anything about what I'm going to say because I just told you to take some pictures, but that's okay. I'm going to keep rolling here. We are in part three of a series called Family Crisis Kit. And each week we've pulled tools out of our kit that will help us to not only survive these rough waters, to not only survive this crisis that we're in, but to really thrive to actually uh, draw closer together as a family. You know, I want you to know that there are a lot of families that are being drawn closer together through these times that are actually uh, doing better. I know there's some that are struggling, but I want you to know there's some good news that some families are are actually uh, um, getting to know each other better. They're actually bonding um, more and more as a family through these times. So I think God is doing some good things. And those of you that are struggling through these times, I think God is going to use that to, uh, to make you better and stronger as well. But I want, I want to remind us that every family is a fixer-upper. You need to take a little pressure off yourself, okay? There is no perfect family. We talked about that the first week of this series. Um, there is no perfect family. So uh, don't feel like you have to do it right all the time because you're not going to do it right all the time. You're not going to be perfect all the time. Last week, we looked at the foundational tool of a family crisis kit. And the foundational tool was love. Um, without love, you don't have a foundation at all. I mean, love has to be the driving force. Love has to be the foundation of everything that we do. Love will get us through the good, the bad, and the ugly times of life. Love is the greatest of all. And then I want to remind us, you know, the shared definition that we used for love was love rejoices in the betterment of the other. I mean, love is other focus. It's looking to serve. It's looking to better those that are around you. Today, we're, we're going to talk about one of the tools in your kit that will actually make your life more pleasant. It will actually make your life more enjoyable. This too is another very important tool um, in your family crisis kit, but uh, this is, this is a, a tool that will um, help your life to even go more smoothly at times. It'll help you to navigate not only the rough waters, but also the conflict that can come in those rough waters. Maybe the conflict in your marriages or the conflict um, that may be swirling around these times of crisis. So I'm going to grab the family crisis kit and we're going to see what's in there today, all right? So I'm going to step over here. I got the family crisis kit, and uh, once again, I know your hearts are probably racing fast. You're like, man, I can't wait to see what's in this box, but here we go. I'm going to open it up, and hey, check this out. There's actually a card in here. Let me read this. The tool for today does not fit into your little kit. Look behind the speaker on the stage. 
Ooh, it's like a little scavenger hunt. All right, this is kind of fun. Oh, there it is. All right. So we got the tool right here. It didn't fit in the kit. Woo! It's got some weight to it. So the tool that represents um, what we're going to be talking about today is this right here. It's a big old chain. Check this chain out. You know what's so cool about a chain is the links that are linked together makes a chain strong. And if it's just one link, you know, a link all by itself really doesn't do much. But when links are connected together, man, you can use this chain to pull out your friends that might be stuck. I mean, this chain can be used for a lot of good. So this is the tool that represents what we're going to be talking about today. And you're wondering, like, what are we talking about today? You thought, I know you thought this, you thought you were going to get away without seeing some more artwork from Justin Ross. All right? I got some artwork for you. Now, I want you to know, I spent a lot of time on this. I spent a lot of time working and crafting this, this piece. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, I didn't use watercolors. I used markers, and, but it's a beautiful piece. So brace yourselves. Here comes some artwork. Boom! All right? Man, look at the color. Look at the color in that. I even spelled it right. The tool that we're talking about today is unity. All right? And it's represented by this chain. Once again, the links that are linked together represents the tool that we're going to be talking about today, and that is unity. Unity, I want us to know right out of, uh, right out of the gates, right from the start, I want us to know that unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean that we're all going to be exactly alike or that we're all going to think alike or act alike or dress alike or vote the same way. That's not what unity means. There is great diversity in our country. There is great diversity in our own communities and in our church. And that is a good thing. That is a great thing. I picked this chain to represent unity because of the many links. Once again, when it's linked together, it can be very strong and be used for a lot of good. But a link all by itself doesn't really accomplish much. You know, you've heard the saying, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. What if we had the mindset of making each other better? What if we had the mindset of, of making each other better knowing that we are all connected? I think this time of crisis that we're going through is, is really proven the fact that we are connected. Um, this virus is spreading and, and it, has, it has spread to a lot of people all around the globe. We are connected as people. If you get stronger, if you get healthier, if you get better, ultimately, it makes me better. So my, mind, my mindset, once again, should, man, I should make you better. I should be trying to lift you up. And in doing so, I'm actually making myself better. I'm actually lifting myself up. You know, why is this such an important tool? I think, uh, you know, we're living in a time where there is often anything but unity. As we look around our world, we see often so much division and disorder and chaos. Everyone has strong opinions about everything under the sun. I mean, everyone has political opinions. Everyone has social and economic and uh, opinions about how you should raise your kids and different parenting styles. And um, everyone has an opinion about, man, you should be wearing masks. Or other people will say, no, you shouldn't be wearing masks. Or, you know, there's opinions about everything. 
And all those opinions can cause division and it can cause chaos. It can be disorderly. And, and honestly, it gets wearisome after a while. Sometimes I can just get flat worn out. Man, there's just so much differing opinions that are swirling around this time of crisis. You know, there's opinions about should we open our country back up or should we keep it closed? You know, there's, there's opinions about everything. And to be honest, it can be very exhausting. Is this idea of unity, is it even possible? Is it, is it possible in our families? Is it possible in our church? Is it possible in our country, this idea of unity? And listen, a lot of the topics that I just mentioned, you know, politics and parenting, marriage, religion, the economy, those are not emotionally neutral topics. I mean, all of those topics are highly charged with emotions. They're highly charged with opinions. And, and most people are not willing to budge on their opinion. They're not willing to, to consider changing their viewpoint. All of these topics have the power to divide us in, instead of bringing us together, instead of unifying us. They have the power to separate us. Consider politics for just a moment. Oh my, the landmine field of politics. Politics can so color the way that we see the world that we're left wondering if someone uh, could have political beliefs that are different than us and still follow Jesus. I mean, sometimes our political views can be so strong that if someone disagrees or has a differing political view, we wonder if they have a relationship with Jesus. Could the outlook on unity, could it be different if we handled these potentially uh, you know, divisive um, topics? What if we handled them differently? What if we looked at them differently? For example, what if we filtered our politics through our faith rather than filtering our faith through our politics? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Listen, Republican, Democrat, left or right, we are all precious in his sight. Can I get an amen? All right. Listen, thankfully, the scriptures has a lot to say about the conflict that can surround the efforts of unity. Um, as a father, as a mother, when you're trying to keep your family unified and you're trying to keep division from coming in, the scripture has a lot to say about that. It has a lot to say about the unity of a country. It has a lot to say about the unity in a church. Now, before we dive in, you need to understand that, that unity is actually neutral. Okay, let me give you an example. Herod and Pilate, two uh, figures in the scriptures, um, they were unified around their unjust condemnation of Jesus Christ. Um, and that was not good unity. They were unified around the, the, the fact that they wanted Jesus to be crucified. But that was not good unity. On the other hand, Paul and Silas, they were wrongfully put into prison because they were proclaiming Jesus Christ. They were teaching Jesus. And they sang together. They sang songs out loud while they were chained up in prison. That was an example of good unity. I can't just say like a blanket statement that Christians need to be unified because it may be good and it may be bad. Okay, There's good unity and there's bad unity. There's some bad things that we could be unified around and there's some good things that we could be unified around. Listen, 50 years ago, the unified vote of, in some southern churches 
forbid the uh, African Americans to from attending church services. I mean, that is an example of bad unity. People were unified around the fact of keeping an ethnicity out of coming into church and worshiping Jesus. That is bad unity. There can be good unity. There can be bad unity. So the what that we're unified around is very important. It it really matters. We're going to look at 11 verses from the Apostle Paul when he was writing to a church in a Greek city called Ephesus. And he was writing to Christians. He was um, giving them specific instruction and encouragement on how to navigate the social and the political waters that they were facing. And there was a lot of religious tension. There was a lot of relational tension. And so there was landmines everywhere. And Paul was giving them some advice. He was giving them some instruction on how to navigate those uh, those fields that were full of landmines. So let's read the words of Paul. Beginning in verse 1, it's Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, rather. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. It says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature or your former way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. Okay, what he's saying is leave your past in the past. Like, follow this new path that Jesus has laid out in front of you. Follow this new path that Jesus is giving you. What Paul is really saying is don't handle things the way that you used to handle things. Now that you're a Christian, now that you have Christ in you, You're going to handle things differently. Verse 23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. This is an active decision. I highlighted the words in those scriptures of letting, okay? Letting the Spirit of God renew our thoughts or putting on the new nature that Christ has given you. There are active things that we need to do to live in this new life. We need to let the Holy Spirit renew our minds. We need to put on the new nature. Just because you've chosen to follow Jesus doesn't mean that He's going to do all the work for me for you. It doesn't mean that you just get to coast on easy street. You still have to be intentional. You still have to do some things on purpose. Your attitude, your stubbornness, your your selfishness, uh, selfishness. It can it can get in the way. It can very much get in the way. Paul goes on to say, verse twenty five, Ephesians chapter four. He says, "So stop telling lies." All right, be, be truthful. Um, make sure that your emotions aren't getting in the way and you're so upset or angry that um, you're just um, speaking things that are not true. Man, this is such an important time to be truthful, to make sure that what you're communicating is backed up with facts and it's truthful. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, we're all connected. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Did you know that it is not a sin to get angry? Jesus lived a sinless life, and there was a time in the Scriptures where he got angry. One time Jesus walked into this place of worship. It was a church back in, in the Old Testament. Okay, it was, uh, it was like a temple that people worshipped in. 
And Jesus walked into this place of worship, and the religious leaders were uh, taking advantage of the vulnerable. They were stealing money. They were ripping people off in the name of God, in the name of religion. Now remember, uh, Jesus is God in the flesh, and his Father, they were uh, ripping people off in his Father's name. This made him angry. This upset Jesus. Uh, Jesus got angry, but he didn't sin. He didn't um, uh, do anything wrong with that anger. Jesus got angry. It's not a sin to be angry. Listen, a lot of people, they think, man, Christians can't get angry. They just have to walk around with these fake smiles on all the time. You know, that's what Christians are supposed to do. They're supposed to be like a doormat that people can just walk on. They can't get angry about anything. That's not true. We're supposed, sometimes people say, oh, you're just supposed to be nice all the time and just get along with everybody and you can't get angry about anything. That's not true. If someone breaks into my home and they try to harm my family, I'm not going to be nice to them, okay? It's going to make me angry. If someone tries to harm my family, I'm going to be angry. I won't be nice. There's there's times where we um, anger can be justified. Anger is not a sin. Paul says, don't sin by letting anger control you. So the idea is, what is the the motivation behind the anger? Listen, anger can, can actually push you to God, or anger can push you away from God. Anger is not always a bad thing. Sometimes anger is justified. People, uh, people who are upset about something, people that can get angry about something, a lot of times it, they're motivated to action because of that anger. It motivates them to do something. All kinds of justice groups have been started because um, some people were angry about injustice. They were angry about something. For example, you know, mothers against drunk driving. Um, they're upset. They're angry that their child was killed by a drunk driver. So they're going to do their best to stop drunk driving. Um, many have been fighting against human trafficking because they're angry that someone would stoop so low as to sell a little girl or a little boy as a sex slave. That, that enraged them, that made them so angry that they took action and they're going to do something about it to make sure that uh, little girls, little boys are protected. Listen, anger can stir us, it can lead us to take action. Righteous anger can awaken many Christians who, who are slumbering, you know, who are, um, their, their faith really isn't alive. Sometimes righteous anger can awaken, it can rekindle that faith in someone's life. Sometimes anger can actually push us towards God. Sometimes anger can unify us around a great cause, a godly cause. However, anger that is out of control can push us away from God. Paul says, don't sin in your anger. He didn't say don't get angry. He said don't sin in your anger. You may have the right to be angry, but you never have the right to sin. You never have the right to do something that you would regret forever. Listen, uh, you know, a wife finds out that her husband has uh, been unfaithful to her. She has the right to be angry, but the the question is, is what will she do with that anger? She may think, you know, I'm going to commit the same offense just to get even with him. Just because you have the right to be angry doesn't mean you have the right to sin 
in that anger. A rebellious child, you know, is in the face of his father. Um, Dad, you have the right to be angry. But the the question is, is, Dad, what are you going to do with that anger? You can't allow anger to overtake your actions. You can't uh, sin in your anger. You can't um, take physical action and beat your child because they're, they're having a rebellious moment. That would be sinning in your anger. So once again, just because you have the right to be angry doesn't mean you have the right to do something that you would regret forever. Paul went on to say, he said, don't let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That means don't let anger grow. Don't let it fester. Don't let it just sit there and, and, and percolate. Um, some of us, when we get angry, we, we bury it. And we think it's just going to go away. I want you to, to know, and this has got to be so clear. We've got to get a hold of this. Anger doesn't just go away if you just ignore it, if you just bury it. It festers and it turns into something that can be very dangerous. Burying your anger always leads to more and bigger anger. So don't bury it. Deal with it. Um, many of us, I think we think, you know, I'll ignore it and I'll deal with it tomorrow. And it just gets worse tomorrow. It gets bigger. Um, it doesn't get better. So don't wait days. Don't wait months. Don't wait years. Deal with your anger today. Deal with it. Get rid of it quickly, Paul says. When you don't deal with your anger quickly, when you don't um, you know, show some attention to what's causing the anger, when you don't go to the root cause and find out what's stirring this anger, uh, Paul says you're actually giving Satan the advantage. And you don't want the enemy to have the advantage. Uh, that's why Paul said, don't give a foothold to the devil. When you let anger fester, you're giving him the opportunity to destroy relationships. Paul says, don't give Satan the advantage. Deal with your anger quickly. And listen, when you allow anger to just sit there and fester, you're actually inviting a fire-breathing dragon over for dinner. You know, you're, you're inviting a fire-breathing dragon to just come into your relationship and to cause all kinds of chaos. But when you deal with your anger and you deal with it quickly, you can actually slay the dragon. You can keep the dragon um, at bay. You can defend your marriage, your family, your country from the enemy that wants to cause havoc, that wants to cause division. Once again, we're looking at this through the lens of the highly charged topics that we mentioned earlier, the topics like politics and religion and relationships and many other uh, topics that cause division. And I don't know about you, but um, man, the things that I've been seeing and hearing, even in our own community, in our own communities, it's, it's just, um, there's just potential for so much division. There's potential for so much chaos. And that's why I believe God was directing me to this message, is to, to really encourage us. We need to fight for unity. We need to make sure that we don't let the evil one win. We cannot be a country that's divided. We cannot be a church that's divided. We cannot be a family that's divided. Listen, things will make us angry in this life. You will experience anger. You will see things. You might experience things. There will be things that make you angry. But we need to deal with that anger in a way that honors God. 
Paul goes on in verse 28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. All right? Rocket science, right? If you're a thief, quit stealing. Don't steal from people. That's not cool. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Right? That's the kingdom mindset, is to give generously, to bless those who are in need. Verse 29, he says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, once again, he makes these statements and it's tied to the topic of anger. He just talked about anger and now he's saying, hey, don't use foul and abusive language because what happens when your anger boils over? Usually you, you lose control of what you say. Um, all of a sudden, all this um, hateful, abusive language is coming out of your mouth. And Paul says, hey, don't, don't use foul and abusive language. Don't let corrupt things come out of your mouth. Um, don't let, in our day and age, don't let corrupt things come out of your keyboard or out of your phone while you're typing, especially when you're angry. Listen, your, your emails, your, your posts that you put on Instagram or on Facebook, social media, um, TikTok, you know, they're just as damaging as the spoken word. What you post, the, the emails that you send, what you type, what you tap in with your phone, they have power. Words have power, even though they're not spoken words. And we all know, you and I know this, okay? We all know that people get very brave when they're behind a screen, when they can't look someone eye to eye. They say things and communicate things that they would never say if the person was standing right in front of them. So be careful what you communicate from your keyboards. Be careful what you communicate from your phones. Listen, we should have the mindset of, as, as people of God, the kingdom of God, we should have the mindset that everything I say, I want to try to build people up. I want to try to fight against the enemy that's trying to cause division. And I want to build people up. I want to encourage people. I don't want to tear them down. Listen, there's, there's a couple things that I want to suggest to you. Before you push send, okay, before you push the button that says post, before you um, send something on social media, there's a couple things that you should think about. Number one, you should ask yourself, is this appropriate? Is this something that's appropriate? Number two, does it bring peace or hope to the ones who hear it or to the ones that read it? Does it bring peace? Does it bring hope? And then number three, is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to post, is it going to benefit people? Is it going to help them grow closer to Jesus? Gosh, I think if we could answer yes to all three of those questions, then push send. But if any of those questions have a, have a no, then you should wait. You should reconsider. Maybe you should calm down a little bit before you push send. Paul continues in verse 30. He says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. The question I want to ask is, are you bringing sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way that you live your life? Is the Holy Spirit cringing? You know, is the Holy Spirit like, oh no, she's about to talk again, or oh no, he's about to say something? Is the Holy Spirit cringing every time you speak? 
Listen, when we don't deal with emotionally charged topics properly, when we don't deal with those, those, uh, those fields full of landmines in a God-honoring way, it, it grieves the heart of God. Because if you and I are saying, hey, we are followers of Jesus Christ, we're people of God, man, we are ambassadors of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. People, um, sometimes the only Bible that they're going to read is your life. So what you say, what you do, it really matters. And once again, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But my gosh, we should think before we speak. We should think before we act. When you don't deal with conflict properly, or when you bring brokenness from your past, and you let it go into your future, it, it, it grieves the heart of God, and it can really hurt a lot of people. Listen, a lot of unhealthy conflict centers around brokenness that is undealt with. A lot of brokenness that is undealt with causes a lot of the conflict that we experience on a daily basis. And listen, I know some of us, I know some of us have gone through some horrible things. Maybe you had someone that did horrible things to you. You've gone through some horrible abuse. But you know what's worse than that? What's worse than the abuse that you experienced or what's worse than the life experiences that were horrible in your past? What's worse than that is carrying that abuse or carrying that brokenness into your future. God wants to set you free. And that doesn't mean that you're going to forget everything in your past, but it does mean that He is going to take that load, that burden that you've been carrying, He's going to take that load off of your shoulders. God wants to set you free from that burden. But listen, when you carry the load, when you carry the burden of your past into your future, it can crush you. God wants you to be free. He doesn't want you carrying that unnecessary burden. Listen, most unhealthy conflict centers around personal brokenness that has not been addressed. It hasn't been dealt with. And you've heard the old saying, hurt people, hurt people. If you have brokenness, you need to deal with that brokenness. You need to get the help that you need. You need to to get the counseling that you need. You need to talk to a pastor. You need to talk to a trusted friend. You need to get the help that you need to deal with that brokenness so that you don't pour that brokenness out on others in your future. Paul says you've got to deal with your brokenness. Look at verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Paul says you've got to get rid of that stuff because it's cancer, okay? It's going to lead to death. If you don't get rid of that stuff, it's going to fester, it's going to grow. And what happens is it's like a domino effect, okay? One domino knocking down another domino. If you don't get rid of bitterness, it'll lead to wrath. And then wrath will lead to anger, And then anger will lead to clamor. And then clamor leads to slander. And then slander leads to malice. It just keeps going. It's one domino knocking down the other. It's building. It's like the snowball rolling down the hill. It's just getting bigger and bigger. And when slander leads to malice, the next thing you know, you're standing over the body of someone you just murdered, right? I mean, it can lead to that point where you're so angry 
that you do something you regret forever. Why does it happen this way? Because you let it sit. You let it fester. You let it grow. And it became sour. And it grew into something that was actually, it became out of your control. It grew into something that you never intended it to be. So, so how do we walk in victory? Paul is, is telling us we need to get rid of that stuff, but I know myself too, I'm like, so how do we do that, Paul? How do we get rid of that stuff? Look at verse 32. He says, instead, okay, instead of going down that miserable path, be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind to each other. Be kind in your words. Be kind in your actions, in the way that you treat people. He says, be tender-hearted. What that means is try to see things from a different point of view. Try to see things from um, the person that you're upset with. Try to see it from their perspective. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to understand where they're coming from. Instead of being full of judgment or bitterness or I know better than you, Try to put yourself in their shoes and understand what led them to this point. Why? What's their background? Maybe they have some brokenness in their past that has has gotten them to this place. Try Try to understand where people are coming from. Being tenderhearted means having compassion or being sympathetic instead of being full, once again, of judgment or bitterness. Being tenderhearted means you actually want God to save people. You want God to rescue people. I've heard Christians say, like, God, just wipe them out. No, that's not a kingdom mindset. The kingdom of God, we should have the mindset of, no, God, deliver people, redeem people, rescue people. Paul is saying you actually have to grow to a place in your faith where you actually care. (laughs) That's a crazy thought, right? You actually care about people. You love people. Paul then says, you need to forgive one another. Our duty as Christians is to forgive. Forgiveness is so tough, especially when you've been wronged. Maybe you've been wronged in a horrific way to, to forgive. Sometimes it just it doesn't seem possible. But Paul is saying you've got to forgive because the only one that it's going to hurt in the future is you. If you don't learn to forgive, the only one that is going to be hurt is the one that doesn't forgive. You might ask, what if they don't ask for forgiveness? Or what if they don't acknowledge that they've wronged me? Does Paul say anything about them asking for forgiveness in those verses we just read? He doesn't. He doesn't say, hey, they need to ask for forgiveness and then you forgive them. He just says, forgive one another, just like Christ has forgiven you. My dad used to say, if if we all got what we deserved, it would get hot in here really quickly, okay? I mean, we all have brokenness. We're all imperfect people. So if we got what we deserved, it wouldn't go well for all of us. So we need to forgive people like Christ has forgiven us. Jesus forgave us, and he wasn't even wrong. Listen, that's the picture of the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. We are to forgive just like Christ forgave us. 
And Jesus wasn't even wrong. He was the one that uh, had the wrong done to him, and he still chose to forgive, to forgive us. Listen, if anyone had the right to be bitter or angry or to just really go crazy on us, it was Jesus Christ. I mean, he was wronged and he was sinless. He hadn't done anything wrong. Jesus created us in a perfect state. Okay, We were in a relationship with God. There was no sin at the very beginning of time. God gave us a simple instruction and we chose to rebel against God. He said, I don't want you to eat from this tree. And we chose to rebel and sin against God. And because of our sin, our relationship with God was broken and death came into the earth. But God was still in control. And God, um, he had a plan to redeem us from that brokenness. And Jesus, this, this was the plan of God. Jesus left heaven and he came to earth as a man so that he could experience what you and I experience. He could experience hunger and betrayal, and he could go through all the hardships that we face on a daily basis so that he could relate to us. And God came in human flesh to save us. Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but he did not sin. He was hated, he was mocked, he was beaten, He was wrongly accused. He came to save us. And what did we do to him? We crucified him. We put the Son of God to death. And while he was hanging on this cross, um, the scripture says he was beaten so badly that you could barely even recognize him. But while he was hanging on this cross, he says, Father, forgive them. And then three days later, he rose again and he conquered death, hell, Satan, and the grave. Listen, if anyone had the right to lose his cool in the midst of conflict, it was Jesus Christ. But I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that God is not bitter towards you and towards me. I'm so glad that God has not held on to to his bitterness And aren't you glad that God has forgiven us? Aren't you glad that God has compassion for us? I want to end uh, this morning's message with some very practical considerations. And I'm just going to go through these quickly, but just some thoughts to encourage you. When it comes to these um, topics that are so emotionally charged, these would be some ideas to help you handle these in in better ways. And, And once again, we're not going to do it right all the time, but this is just some ideas to help you. So I want to give you seven practical considerations in dealing with conflict that will help us to stay unified, that will help us to stay linked together so that we can accomplish great good in our lifetime. Number one, this is just a practical consideration. Email and social media are not good platforms for working out conflict. All right, If you have conflict with someone else... um, Working that conflict out via email or working it out on social media for the whole world to see is not really a good idea. Uh, The best way to handle conflict is person to person or even a phone call. Um, In this time where we're at home or we're supposed to be at home, you know, uh, that might be one of the better options right now is a phone call. But email, social media, not the best idea. And, And the reason is, If I type an email trying to deal with conflict, I don't have to look the person in the eye. And it, 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 it's an obstacle. It's, it's, it's an obstacle. I don't have to, 
I don't have to look at this person and I don't have to, um, you know, see their reaction. And so um, a lot of times we communicate through our body language. And so when you deal with conflict via email or social media, it's really not a healthy way to deal with conflict. It, it can be so easily misinterpreted. And, and when we do that, sometimes it causes new conflicts. Number two, practical consideration. We have a saying around here at Grace Church, especially on our pastoral team. We're working together a lot. But we have a saying, and it goes like this. It's move towards the funk and do it quickly. All right? So if you have, uh, man, you had a conversation with someone and you just sense or you feel some funkiness. There's something not right. Man, you need to have a conversation with that individual as quickly as possible. Move towards the funk and let's try to clear the air as quickly as possible. Once again, like Paul said, don't let bitterness or anger, don't let those hard feelings fester and grow. Try to deal with it quickly. Number three, uh, a consideration is it's not my job to fix people. All right? You can't fix people. I can't fix people. So we need to stop trying. Only God can change the hearts of men and women and children. Our job is to love people. Number four, people cannot read your mind. All right? We have to learn uh, that we have to learn how to communicate what we're feeling. And I understand feelings are very real and they are very powerful, but feelings are not facts. And so we have to learn how to communicate what we're feeling so that with our spouse, with our children, with a coworker, they understand um, what's going on inside of us because people can't read our minds. They can't see inside of us internally. Number five, you need to stop waiting for them to approach you. All right? One of the greatest signs of maturity or growth is when a person is willing to take responsibility to have a conversation or to apologize instead of waiting for the other person to make it happen. Come on, you and I, uh, those of us that are married, uh, we've experienced this where we have an argument with our spouse and I'm going to wait until Trisha apologizes or I'm going to wait until Trisha uh, um, you know, gets her heart right with the Lord and deals with it, right? That's the wrong mindset. I need to have the maturity. I need to have the growth to have the conversation with her as quickly as possible. Number six, don't go public if you haven't talked in private. Sometimes good people take their conflicts online once again, but they have never attempted to handle them in a private way. And Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 15. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So don't go public with a conflict until you have uh, dealt with it in private. Number seven, just a reminder once again, I'm hammering this one. Don't forget, email, social media is not a good way to work out conflict. All right, Please don't work out your conflicts on social media or via email. Um, it does not work well. Grace Church, I want you to know that you are doing a great job, especially in these hard times that we're living in. You're doing a great job showing the love of Jesus Christ. I want to brag on you for just a moment as, as we uh, land this plane, as we are about to wrap up this sermon. We're making huge strides in the area of unity. And people are, are actually taking notice. They're recognizing that our church is, is unified and that we're moving in the same direction. 
We've not only had, uh, you know, over a thousand people view our services online, our weekend services, but um, we've had people make the decision to give their lives to Jesus Christ too. And we are thrilled about that. We're so excited. It's been pretty incredible, to be honest with you. Just in the last couple weeks, uh, numerous meals have been delivered to people in need. Um, we've we've given thousands of dollars away in grocery gift cards. Uh, we've taken gift cards to families that were in need, and uh, neighbors have been cared for. Uh, there's been acts of kindness that have just spilled out all over um, all over this region. To be honest with you, and. We also took care of, we made the decision as a church to take care of the monthly salary for 20 pastors in the Philippines. Um, remember, this is the country where their president said, if you come out of your house, um, we can shoot you. You're going to get shot. And they are experiencing things that are um, really scary in the Philippines. And a lot of the, the churches and the pastors there, because they can't meet, they don't have online banking and, and uh, they're an underdeveloped country. And so... A lot of these pastors are really struggling, and we've, um, for a month, we are going to cover the salary of 20 pastors in the Philippines. I want you to know, Grace Church, like your generosity, it just never ceases to amaze me. So I want to encourage you to keep up the good work. Uh, what you do really matters. Uh, and I believe you're, the way you're living your life, the way you're living out your faith is really bringing a smile to the face of God. And when we're unified around Jesus Christ, all right? We talked about at the beginning of this message, the what is so important. What we're unified around really matters. And I am imploring us, I am begging us, let's be unified around Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we will be like this chain that is really unbreakable and that can accomplish great good. People love to be a part of Grace Church. Uh, because they see people living out their faith in real time. I also want to speak briefly to those of you who are new here, those of you that maybe just tuned in today or you've tuned in just the last couple of weeks. Maybe you're still exploring the things of God. I want you to know that we love you. I want you to know that we're for you, that God is for you. He's not against you. We are, uh, man, we couldn't be more excited that you are tuning in and watching these services with us. Um, we don't want you to feel any, any pressure, but we would love for you to join the adventure. We would love for you to take a step of faith and to give your life to Jesus Christ. We would love for you to be on this journey of faith with us. And so I just want to invite you to give your life to Jesus this morning, to give your life to him, trust him with your life. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we are going to be uh, done with our online service this morning. Father God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Gosh, there was so much in there in chapter 4. Um, There's so much that we could uh, pull out of there and learn. And um, God, I just pray that you would help us to, to deal with anger in a healthy way. I pray that you would help us to deal with conflict in a way that honors you. Father, I pray that you would help us to be unified. And I believe, really, it's, it's got to start in our homes. It's got to start in our marriages, Lord. And then I think when there's strong homes and there's strong marriages, that's going to make our churches strong. And when our churches are strong, that's going to make our, our communities strong. And when our communities are strong, that's going to make our nation strong. But I, I really do believe it's going to start in the home. And God, I just pray that you would help us to, 
uh, to be unified in our homes. And when the enemy tries to come in and divide, I just pray that we would stand against him and we wouldn't give him a foothold. We wouldn't give him the advantage, but we would deal with our anger quickly. We would get the help that we need. We would deal with the brokenness from our past. And you would help us to walk in freedom. You would take that load off of our shoulders, God, and we would be able to move forward into our future with incredible joy and incredible freedom. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you.